guess I'll buy you a Starbucks drink. Whoa. Revival. Revival. Yeah. <laughs> was, that, Revival. was that your guess or her guess? I said it first. I was going to say that, but she I did say it first. I almost promised, I only promised Starbucks for Oh, okay. <laughs> but you already lost. Is that what you're speaking of? No. Oh. Okay, can I get, well, that was her guess. Can I have a guess, too? Oh. That was your guess. <laughs> no, you didn't give me a Starbucks gift. Okay. <laughs> okay. Go. What was your guess? David in the Tabernacle. Ooh. That would be fun. That is a good guess. That was like two months ago. That's solid. That was October. <laughs> 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 On a Saturday night. Oh. Oh, you spoke about that, huh? I like it. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to guess, um, Jesus' patience? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Dang, that's solid, too. These are good guesses. <laughs> yeah, they're what really... is it? Tell us. Do you want to guess? What is your name? Anessa. Anessa? Yes. Did you want to guess? Mm-hmm. Start going. <coughs> the Holy Spirit's a good guess. Don't influence that. Sorry. Forgiveness. Forgiveness? Mm. Oh, no. These are probably really good. Wow. Wow. So we're giving you suggestions now. <laughs> we're giving you suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll change it up, right? <laughs> On the fly. Yes, forgive often and quickly. (laughs) Let no bitter root grow up within you, Paul says. Mm -hmm. Defiles everybody. Mm. So So lay it on us. What are are you talking about? What's that? Lay it on you? Yeah. We are talking about, I think if you have your notes, internship notes anyways. Can you find it for me? I can never find it. Yeah. Sorry. I don't organize these very well, so you never can find what we're doing. We are going to speak on... Oh, I turned right to it. To the bridal paradigm or bridal perspective, which is a little odd talking to a group of young ladies. Okay. But, uh, I literally turned right to the page. But this is uh, one of the messages that has gripped my heart for years and continually, continually does so. So if you don't, if you're unfamiliar with the bridal paradigm or the bridal perspective, it's the emphasis of and what as what Scripture reveals is Jesus as the bridegroom and the church, His people, us as His bride. Now it's not His only identity yet, or our only identity as the church, because we're also called the body. We're also mm-hmm. called. Um, what else? The church, the ecclesia, mm-hmm. the family of God. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also called the bride of Christ. And that's significant. And in a gender-confused world, as we are in these days, um, both men and women make up, the church makes up the bride of Christ, which is obviously composed of both men and women, but as when we're talking about the bridal paradigm, we're talking about the churches, the bride, has nothing to do with gender at all. Mm-hmm. It has to do with Jesus being the, the lover of our souls and us as his bride responding to that love and coming into our identity um, with that. Mm-hmm. So I hope that was <laughs> that was clear. It has no, nothing to do about gender. And I feel like it's important to say, to say that, especially to the younger, the younger generation, because there's so much gender confusion. So mm-hmm. as a man, mm-hmm. as related to the bride, I don't picture myself in a wedding dress or anything or going on dates with Jesus or anything like that. 
It's, yeah. I, no, <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. Um, it's actually, a lot of it has to do with his movements upon my heart as the lover of my soul and me responding to him in that way. Mm-hmm. And um, it's absolutely exhilarating and riveting um, mm-hmm. to experience Jesus' love and, uh, and, to, and to respond to it. And so let's, let's get into it. And we won't get, I got a lot here, and I'm going to I'm gonna skim through a lot of it. But I uh, just want to just hopefully lay a foundation and uh, give you guys some good stuff. And then this could be an on-ramp for you guys to go deeper. Because that's what happened to me I, um, when I was in my late 20s, started hearing songs. Um, about the love of Christ in this way, hearing, hearing songs that had verses from the Song of Solomon, and then um, and uh, hearing messages um, at the House of Prayer, East Bay Prayer Furnace, on the Song of Songs and on the Bridal Paradigm, and it just gripped my heart, and it led me um, on this journey to wanting to dive in and to go in deeper, and um, and I and I did and continue and continue to do so because we could never exhaust. Uh, exhaust this stuff and so I'm going to go ahead and read the first paragraph and then and then we'll get into some scriptures because um, some of you in here might not even know that the heart of God this way okay so in scripture God reveals himself not only as the creator as our father as a merciful savior as a shepherd you name it you go on and all the and all the way God describes himself in the word um, but he also describes himself and reveals himself as, a, as our heavenly husband with devoted, fiery, jealous love for his bride, for his people. Um, the Apostle Paul refers to this love as a mystery, and that's in Ephesians 5. And this mystery has been revealed from the dawn of creation all the way at the very beginning in Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. All the way through. Many places in scripture we speak of this divine love um, with key passages found in both the Old and the New Testament. And when I first started learning about this and how God reveals, revealed himself this way in the scriptures, not just in Genesis, not just in Revelation, not just in Ephesians 5, I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I was like, I was fascinated. I like I didn't know God revealed Himself this way towards us, mm-hmm. and it and like I said, it led me on this journey of, of of discovery and discovering Him in this way, discovering the Lord in this way. Okay, so let's uh, let's look into some of the scriptures. We'll just do a few from the Old Testament and a few from the New Testament because there's actually a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have the notes in your binder, there's several lists, and I encourage you uh, to, to, look, to look these up. I'll say, well, we're going to look at Hosea chapter 2, verses 16 through 20, real quick. Just going to read it. And it says, And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband, and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals. Names of the bit, those were idols. And they shall be remembered, be remembered by their name no more. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground. Bow and sword of battle, I will shatter from the earth. 
to make, they, to make them lie down in safety. Here it goes, verse 19. That's what the Lord says. And just so you know, as I'm reading the scriptures, I want to be chiming in and out as we read some of the scriptures. Okay. Uh, verse 19, the Lord says, I'll betroth you to me forever. Yes, I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So what do you need? I have to explain something real quick. This whole betrothal thing, what is that? Um, the betrothal would, would be similar to how in the West, how we get engaged when we're going to get married, right? You have the engagement. The, usually, the, the, usually the groom, the potential groom asks the potential, potential bride for their hand in marriage. Will you marry me? Um, for me, I did my proposal on a hot air balloon. Oh, flying over Napa. So Nora didn't have an option to say no. It was just way too awkward. <laughs> you held her hostage up there. Like, we're not coming down. We're not coming down. <laughs> was it your first time on a hot air balloon? It was. No, actually it wasn't. It was actually really cool. Even only, it had two of these flame things that heat the balloon or blow up the balloon, and actually one of them went out. But it, That's was, a little freaky. A smaller, it, was, it was a smaller hot air balloon, so it wasn't an issue. And it was cool. And then, and I didn't know, they named balloons. If you go to a hot air balloon okay. place, you get on it. And ours was named Genesis. It was really cool. Oh, cool. oh um, wow. So, uh, and that was the beginning, not of our relationship, but the beginning of our path to marriage. So, um, so the betrothal, so in the betrothal in ancient Israel, um, like I said, what was similar to our engagements was a lot stronger and actually look more meaningful than our engagements. Cause you, we get engaged here on the West, here in the West, that thing could be broken off and the marriage never takes place. Right. Mm. Well, maybe the guy will get the ring back. Maybe not. Um, but, um, but in ancient Israel, an engagement actually, um, they, they were actually legal, legally married when they were betrothed. Mm. When there was the betrothal took place, they were legally married, and to break off the betrothal, they actually had to get legally divorced, a certificate of divorce. So they were legally married at the betrothal, but they weren't, the, the couple didn't live with each other yet. There was usually about a year that went by and the husband went, uh, uh, would go and prepare a place for them to stay, and then he would come back, and then and, and and then they would live together, and consummate the marriage. But uh, so all that to say is, when you were betrothed in ancient Israel, that was a big deal, and those things weren't broken off that easy. When when uh, when Joseph going, we're coming into the Christmas season. When Mary and Joseph, they're they were betrothed. She was a virgin. They were betrothed, mm -hmm. right? And he thought about, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about divorcing her, divorcing her, divorcing her, or getting a certificate of divorce because she's with child, and it wasn't by me. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you look at it, it's in the Matthew. An angel came to him in a dream and said, no, take her as your spouse. What is in her room is from the Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit. So it was a betrothal. Okay. Let's move on. Um, oh, well, let's, Isaiah 54, 4 through 5. 
And what I want us to catch here is just the language of the Bible in regards to this, the, the bridal perspective. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. You will be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. Here it is right here, verse 5. For your maker is your husband. Mm -hmm. The Lord of hosts is his name. Do you know what the Lord of hosts is? That's the Lord of armies. <laughs> okay, your maker is your husband. The Lord of armies is his name. And your redeemer, God is our redeemer, right? Is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. So say it with me. My maker. My maker. Is my husband. Is my husband. <laughs> I love it. It just says it all right there. Your maker is your husband. God is revealing himself this way right here in Isaiah. Okay. Um, I love Isaiah 62. Mm. Uh, okay. That was from Isaiah 62, right? The first, no, that was from Isaiah 54. But I want, I don't want to read it all. Mm. Well, yeah, Isaiah 62, I'm just going to go there. It's so good. Because it's actually has lots. You got to go there. Because, <laughs> you know, Isaiah 62, yeah, anyways. For Zion's sake. I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth like as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall, shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You should be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of, crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land anymore be termed desolate. But you should be called Hepzibah. Say Hepzibah. Hepzibah. And that means my delight is in her. And her land, Beulah. Say Beulah. Beulah. And that means married. Mm. And here it is. For the Lord delights in you. And your land shall be married. And here it is. Again, I don't know why it's up with verse 5, but it's in verse 5. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Did you catch that? Just you can take that down. If you did, I'm going to say it again. Oh, wait, hang on. <laughs> can you repeat that verse, too, that you just read? Like, the Lord delights in you. Yes. Because that's one of the key things when we're thinking about the bridal paradigm. I also like to call it, for our time here, the bridal perspective. That's about the Lord's delight. Because mm -hmm. what what man <laughs> doesn't delight in his bride? Mm -hmm. well, there's a lot of men actually don't, but that's just because their own brokenness. But um, mm -hmm. what it says, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Mm -hmm. What was that, Isaiah 1? Um, 62 verse 5. Yeah. And as you progress on in Isaiah 62, you get this bridal paradigm, this intimacy um, with God, then you get into night and day prayer, mm -hmm. and then you get into, at the very end, mm -hmm. the forerunner, call and messenger. 
Um, it's pretty cool. Very, I know this, this chapter is very significant to the prayer room, mm -hmm. Isaiah 62. And then check out what Jesus, or God says in uh, Jeremiah 2.2. 2. Mm -hmm. Say Jeremiah 2.2. 2. Jeremiah 2.2. 2. Says, I remember you. He's talking about Israel. The kindness of your youth. Mm -hmm. The love of your betrothal. There's that word again, betrothal. Mm -hmm. When you went after me. When you followed me in the wilderness and the land not sown. Oh, he's telling that to a, he's speaking that through Jeremiah, who, who was, a, you know, was a prophet. He's speaking it to the, to Israel who's gone, fell on it, fallen off and fallen into rebellion. Mm -hmm. And the Lord's speaking to Jeremiah to tell the people, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. Mm -hmm. Basically, when you, when you followed me in the wilderness and the land that so when you, when you followed me out of Egypt mm -hmm. into the wilderness. Catch the language, the love of your betrothal. The Lord's telling a, a, a rebellious nation that. Mm. Next, I have up is Psalm 45, but um, we're going to skip that because it's like you have to read the whole thing. But that's another good one. And then we're going to go into Psalm of Psalms 4, verses 9 through 10. And you have to picture this as Jesus speaking this to, our, to your heart mm. in this particular passage. He says, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices. And this is staggering. It's staggering to think that one turn, we could be like so distracted all day. But one turn of our eyes to the Lord moves his heart. Mm -hmm. One turn of our attention. Can we drive in a car and just our attention is turned to the Lord and say, Lord, I love you. Thank you. Or whatever. It says, with one look of your eyes, you've ravished my heart. And then, and, and then it goes, how much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes and all spices. And if you know the song of Solomon, like he's using right here the same words that she used towards him in, in chapter one. In chapter one, the first three verses, she says, um, kiss me with the kisses of your mouth, which means the kisses of your word. And when you interpret it spiritually, Kiss me with the kisses of your word, Lord. For your, she says, for your love is better than wine. And pleasing are the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name, your name, Jesus, is like perfume poured out. And then he goes, and we're going to, in a chapter four here, and he's using the same words back to her. That is, wow. That we can touch, that we can move God's heart with our love towards with our love giving back to him. Okay, we good? <laughs> so, so good. It's yeah. like amazing that God is this way. Now, <laughs> we can move his heart too. It's a love exchange. It's called intimacy with God, intimacy with Jesus. We're going to go on to some New Testament examples. We're going to start off with John the Baptist. I love John the Baptist. 
and my wife went and saw the, uh, you know, the start of season three of Chosen in the movie at the Livermore Cinema the, uh, on Friday night, you know, had a, a, little, a little date night and we got to see the, uh, see it and uh, I hadn't seen any of, of um, season two, so I didn't, I hadn't seen the John the Baptist character. So when they showed him prison in my heart, I was like, John the Baptist! <laughs> yes. <laughs> was, I was like, yes! That was actually probably my favorite part of the whole thing. Wow. Um, but I just uh, just love who he was and, and, and his dedication in, to the Lord. And, uh, and, and, and just even as we read this and like, yeah, his, his love for God. And so John, we're in the New Testament now, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John was also uh, baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown in prison. Mm. And chosen part three, he's in prison, or season three. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, and they're talking about Jesus. Uh, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. But I have been sent before him. And here it is, verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. You see, John recognizing this. And having even this bridal perspective of the kingdom in his heart, understanding uh, the people are Jesus's, they're not mine. The people are the bride, and Jesus is the bridegroom. I'm the friend of the bridegroom, or in our vernacular these days, I'm the best man of the bridegroom, and it's my joy just to hear his voice. I'm getting out the way. This isn't my wedding, this isn't my bride. He must increase, I must decrease. Okay. <clears throat> Moving on. And one thing you have to understand, John's disciples, in at least two accounts in the Gospels, they were very offended at Jesus. Mm -hmm. They just, they didn't quite get it yet, and, and John had to instruct them, you know, he's the guy. But, uh, but here's another passage where they're like, <laughs> they're upset because uh, John and John's disciples fasted, and the Pharisees fasted. It's all spiritual things. But Jesus' disciples weren't fasting. <laughs> you know, like in the passages before, they were getting upset because the people were coming to Jesus, to the Jesus conference and getting baptized and, and, and not going to John's uh, as much anymore. So here, here it is. Matthew 9, verses 14 through 15. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Okay, John's disciples are talking to Jesus, right? They're talking to Jesus right now. And they're asking about, I'm sorry, I'm just finding it humorous as we're reading it. They're talking about <laughs> fasting. 
a spiritual discipline and a spiritual exercise. Why do we fast? Why are we the fasting guys and your guys don't? <laughs> you know? It's a good question. <laughs> why, why are we going hardcore and your guys aren't? You know, that's basically that's the way I look at it. Mm. Why are we extreme in this area of spiritual disciplines and your disciples are eating bread and feasting and all this stuff? And this is listen to Jesus' response. I don't want to get a sidetrack from the topic here. But this is Jesus' response. He doesn't get offended. He doesn't even like point out like spiritual pride or anything like that. He's, this is what Jesus says. And Jesus said to them, and this is Jesus speaking of his disciples, the 12 disciples. And this is how Jesus describes them. He says to John's disciples, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn, which means it's a form of fasting, as long as the bridegroom is with them. These are coming from Jesus' own words. Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them just and then they will fast so there's a lot going on right here and actually one of the things is we do it at east bay prayer furnace every month called the global bridegroom fast jesus is actually right here one of the things he's doing right here is actually initiating a new kind of fast that hadn't been there established before. A fast focused on intimacy with Jesus. A fast specifically focused on Jesus, the bridegroom. Mm -hmm. He's initiating it right there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to say this. So when he says, can the friends of the bridegroom, the literal translation of that is sons of the bride chamber. Mm. He's calling disciples the sons of the bride chamber. This is, this is deep. This is rich. Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn or fast as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when they will fast. Whew. And that fast will be focused on, on intimacy with the Lord. Well, one of the things is they're going to be long. And these guys, if you, I know some of you follow each other. These guys, and I love what I love about Chosen, it's a, it's a great picture of what it could have been like for the disciples and just... And just in their humanity, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? But these, if you, you really got to think about it, they were with him for three and a half years, day in, day out, day in and day out. Mm -hmm. And there was going to come a day when not only would he be taken away from them at his death for three days, but then he's taken back up into heaven. And they would long and yearn for the days when they were with him. Mm -hmm. And the disciples would go into a fasting because they longed for Jesus. Because they longed for him. Yeah. They long for that, that closeness that they once shared when he was there with them physically. Mm -hmm. That presence. Okay, moving on. 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 2. This is uh, the Apostle Paul. He's speaking to the believers, the church at Corinth. Um. And he says, oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And again, we're just catching the language here. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband. Mm. Say that. For I betrothed you to one husband. I betrothed you to one husband. That I may present you as a ch chaste virgin to Christ. See, the apostle Paul had that, this the bridal perspective and understanding of it. Mm -hmm. 
I betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But he's, he's saying this if you go on and, and, and read it in its context or some, a few other verses there. He, he's saying this because he, he was fearing that they were being deceived and falling away from the Lord. He says, I betrothed you to one husband. Okay. I'm going to go to Apostle Paul again in Ephesians 5. We're going to have to figure out where we'll go from there. <laughs> Ephesians 5, it's the great, one of the, with the great marriage passage. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and read the whole thing so you get at least some of the context of what Paul's saying. Because at first he's uh, instructing husbands and wives and how to treat each other. And then he drops, then he drops, then he drops verses 30 and 32. Um, okay. So it says, wives, and you just remember this. Your future wife. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It works. Submission works both ways. Let me tell you. The next part of the word says okay. Yes. And uh, yes. Wives would do well to submit to their husbands, and husbands would do well to love their wives. Okay. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Say, in everything. In everything. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, you didn't say that. <laughs> just remember this when you're married one day. In everything. <laughs> well, the Apostle Paul doesn't let husbands off the hook, though. Because I actually think he actually bring, there's a high standard. He, a high bar he raises on the husbands. When I read this, here he goes, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Wow. Mm. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. Um, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So going back into what I kind of mentioned earlier, there are husbands that don't treat their wives very well, as we all know. Um, and there it is. If a husband doesn't love his wife, he doesn't even love him. He doesn't, he doesn't love himself. Okay. There's also more issues to, to it than that, but that's one of the things. You've heard that saying, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. <laughs> it's true. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own body, his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. Pause right there. It says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Mm -hmm. Now, there, there was a, um, or do you guys know what the first marriage in scripture is? The first wedding, the first marriage in scripture. Don't think too hard. Well, it's not a trick question either. Oh, what is it Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis. First, first marriage. 
And what and what did and what did and what did what did Adam say when he when the Lord brought to him Eve and he saw her for the first time? Huh? Isn't that when he says, I shall name her Eve as she is? That's one of the things, yes. But he says, he says, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. I think I, I, I'm kind of going off memory, but I'm just kind of paraphrasing. But mm -hmm. um, that's essentially what he says. But he goes, whoa. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Because up until that point, it was Adam, God, the garden, and animals. And you know what? Before he brought uh, Eve to him, he brought all the animals, male and female, and said, give him charge. I'll give you, name them. So what Adam saw, one of the things that Adam saw, he saw male and female animals. Male and female, tigers, lions. You know, there's a distinction. Some of the animals, you can tell which ones are male and female, some of them you can't. But there's a, obviously, say, just take for a lion, for example. There's a big difference, right, between a male lion and a female. Male lion got some big mane, you know. Mm -hmm. Female lion doesn't. Um, and then, you know, carry on. Like I say, let's go deer. Male deer has the antlers. Female, a doe, a female deer doesn't. So, but, so get, what I'm getting at is, so he brings a male and female, and I've heard this said before, and I believe it's true, it produced a longing in him. Because before it's like, it was just Adam. He didn't have a female companion, but he's seen these animals that did. And then it produced a and God did that on purpose to produce a longing for him. Because then the next thing that happens is God puts Adam under anesthesia. Says, boom, you name the animals, boom. And that's when he wakes up, he, the Lord presents Eve to her. He's like, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He had never saw another human before. Mm. Obviously, he recognized the difference. She should be called woman. <laughs> you know? uh, mm. but, but that, yeah, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Okay? So when you were born again, when you received Christ as your Savior, um, you became part, we became part of his body, whether we realize it or not. Bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Mm. Apostle Paul says it right here. For we are members of his body. I'm back in Ephesians now, verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Mm -hmm. And then, here it is. Verse 31. For this reason. Like, like he's talking about Christ here, okay? And he's talking about the church's relationship to Christ. And then he goes into it. So, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Verse 31. For this reason. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. When was that first said? Back in Genesis. He's quoting Genesis chapter 2 right there. Mm -hmm. At the first marriage, Adam and Eve. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall, be called, and the two shall become sorry, one flesh. Then he goes, verse 32. This is a great mystery. Say great mystery. Great mystery. This is, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Mm. But I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each one of you in particular uh, so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay. Whew. You guys with me? Yeah. 
stop here in these verses that we read. I mean, how much, when should we stop? <laughs> what time is it? It's, pa- it's just Eight past 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock. Maybe what 10 more minutes? 10 more minutes would be good. Yeah, yeah. I just want to go over a few more things because mm-hmm. like, as far as where this is talked about in scripture and then why it's important. Mm-hmm. Now, Okay, let's see. So we read in John chapter 3 how John the Baptist spoke of Jesus as the bridegroom and the people the bride. We also read how um, Jesus in Matthew 9 clearly identified himself as the bridegroom. Um, What we didn't talk about, what I'm talking about now, in Matthew 22, Jesus compares the kingdom to a wedding feast. In Luke 24, Jesus expounds to the, to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in all the scriptures, which would be in that day, the Old Testament concerning himself. Um, this would include his identity as the bridegroom in the Song of Solomon. Mm-hmm. And what else do I have here? It says, um, and I don't believe that uh, Jesus' very first miracle where, um, anybody, where does his first miracle take place? Does anybody know? The grapes. Uh, the winemaking. Right? At a what? At a wedding. At a what? At a wedding. Yeah! That's it. At a wedding. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Very first miracle that he did was at a wedding, turning water into wine. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no coincidences in the Bible. So. So, uh, no coincidence that Jesus' very first miracle took place at the wedding in Canaan. That's John chapter 2. I believe this wedding miracle was one of the key factors that set in motion his path to the cross where he would lay down his life for his promised bride. And I want to go back to just um, one more um, comparison to Genesis 2. And, and Jesus. And this has to actually do with Jesus on the cross. Because um, as mentioned before, we know that God put Adam to sleep. To, and uh, while Adam was asleep, he extracted the rib to create Eve. So Adam, Adam was cut. You have to realize that. He was cut in his flesh. Right? He bled. Adam was cut in his flesh for, for Eve to be created. That's how God did it. God could have did it any way he wanted to. We put Adam to sleep. Knocked him out. <laughs> and uh, and one, of this, one, of, one of the things uh, why I believe God did this was to foreshadow Jesus' death on the cross. When he died on the cross. I'll just read it. 
says, God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam in order to pierce his side to remove the rib to create Eve. And uh, was Jesus pierced on the cross? Was he, you know, he had wounds in his hands, wounds in his feet, and where else? Yes. Where else? Wounds in his what? Wounds in his side. Right? Well, he was whipped. He was whipped and flogged. You know, he was flogged before and, uh, before he was on the, before he got crucified. He was flogged. I mean, he was beaten. Like, watch the Passion of the Christ. If you haven't seen that movie, that's probably one of the more accurate portrayals of what it what it was like for him. He got flogged, and he still had to carry the cross. And then he gets nailed on the cross, hands and feet. And we know actually he got bashed in the head too, crowned with thorns. Like he was, they tore him up. Mm. All for us too. So that our sins could be forgiven and we could be one with him. But man, we know Jesus died on the cross, right? He says, into your hands, God, I commit my spirit. Says he breathed his last. And then in, in John's gospel account, we get some added information. Mm. That not only did he die on the cross, the Roman soldier then took a spear and pierced his side. So just as Adam was pierced in his side for his bride, so too Jesus was pierced in his side for his bride. Mm -hmm. Right? Gosh, yeah. There's so much connection to this. Mm -hmm. Not only that, Jesus is called the last Adam. Well, we had a first Adam who fell into sin, and then Jesus, the last Adam, the sinless man. Okay. Mm. All right, so I'm going to... Uh, read this paragraph and then just try to sum up briefly why this is important for us in our day and why God is actually probably, possibly highlighting this more now in the history of the church than ever as far as across the board. Um, okay, so um, going back to Genesis and the creation account, human, the human race, people, us, human beings, are actually irrefutably the crowning jewel of God's creation. We're, we're irrefutably the crowning jewel of God's creation. Mm -hmm. um, he made everything with us in mind. And within all of creation, the Father's goal has been to have a family and to prepare a bride for his son. And that's actually amazing to think about because God doesn't need anything. Mm -hmm. We're talking about God didn't need to create people like we, in a sense, he doesn't need us, but it was in his heart to create the world. It is in his heart to create us and for us to be in relationship with him. What do you think about that? The God who was completely sufficient in himself, didn't need anything, mm -hmm. says, I'm going to create people. Mm -hmm. And those people are going to fall mm -hmm. and I'm going to redeem them. Mm -hmm. I, it's one of the greatest love story ever told. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> ever. <laughs> like, you know, when angels, there's angels that fell, right? The fallen angels really happened. They didn't have them. They didn't get redeemed. Mm -hmm. They stayed, they're in that eternal state forever and will be cast into the lake of fire at the end of the age, right? But people, us, he's like, I'm going to redeem them. My affections are on them. 
for all who would believe and receive. Mm. Right? Like, the heart of God towards us is, I think even in Peter it says, angels long to look into redemption. <laughs> right? <laughs> they probably don't understand. There's something like, they're not, angels aren't God, right? So they don't have, they're not, I have all, all knowledge. You know, so that there's part of redemption and God redeeming us that, that angels don't understand. It says they long to look into, Peter says they long to look into those things. Like, <laughs> they probably wonder, why God, why are you redeeming these people, these, this, the human race, they're, you know, mm -hmm. in light of all our brokenness and weakness. God's like, there's something in the heart of God when he created us. We were, we were made to know him and to, and to live with him and to be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. I think it's in Ecclesiastics. Solomon says, God has written eternity on the hearts of men. Eternity. We were created to live forever. Like God has written eternity in our hearts. That's why nobody wants to die. No, nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to age. That's why there, there's so many beauty products out there. You know? And all that. It's such a billion dollar industry. Everybody wants to stay as, 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 as young as they can. And they reach past a certain age. <laughs> Okay, so all of God's activity is to provide and prepare people um, that are perfectly suited for Jesus like Eve was for Adam. And, um, and think about that, we have to understand that Jesus is the focal point of human history and not the events of the world. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we get so caught up in current events and what's going on in the world. Well, the focal point of history is Jesus returning to the planet yeah. and establishing his rule and reign and us as his people, as us as the bride, ruling and reigning in his kingdom on the earth. Mm. With jobs, with positions mm. that he would grant us to be with him and to, uh, and to do things mm. on the earth with him forever. Right? It's, who are you, God? Mm. It's like... Well, I meant to pray it at the beginning, but we need a spirit of wisdom and revelation mm -hmm. and the knowledge of him to know him better. It's Ephesians uh, 1, 17. We pray it in here all the time. Mm -hmm. And I've been asking God, like, maybe he revealed something. Like, mm -hmm. in my own private time, I'm like, God, mm -hmm. what, what, what work do you have for me to do in the age to come? I'm, I'm serious. Earlier today, I was just praying that in here today. What job assignment do you have for me to do in the age to come? Yeah. He may reveal it. He may not. But it's just interesting to think about because we're going to have assignments. Mm -hmm. We're not just going to be on, you know, mm. sitting on the couch eating, you know, eating a bunch of food mm -hmm. like, and just enjoying, enjoying eternity, which we will be. But we're going to be doing things with the Lord and for the Lord. Okay, so, so we must understand that Jesus is the focal point of human, human history and not the events of the world. Because all of history, say all of history. All of history. All of history is heading in one direction. Mm -hmm. Right? 
from one direction to a predetermined place mm. unto one event, a glorious event. Do we know what that is? Jesus' return. Jesus' return, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Mm. There's a, we a wedding, his wedding. Mm. The marriage of the Lamb, Revelation 19. Um, so check this out, which is really cool. Not Revelation 19, yes, but we're going on to something different now. So God... Who, who John says in 1 John 4, 8, says, God is love. Say, God is love. God is love. So God, who is love, began human history with a love story. Right? We already talked about that. Adam and Eve in the garden. God began human history with a love story. You got to think about it like that. Because yeah. it's right there in the Word. He began human history with a love story, with a wedding. Mm. Adam in the garden of Eden, loving and embracing his wife, Eve. And he's going to culminate human history with the wedding. He began human history with the wedding, and he's going to culminate human history with the wedding. Mm -hmm. With Jesus, who's known who called the last Adam, loving and embracing his wife, the church. Mm. God, who is love. <laughs> I really want us to get this, so I'm repeating it. God, who is love, began human history with the love story. Began human history with the wedding. Mm -hmm. And he's going to culminate human history with the wedding. With the bride of Christ being united to Jesus. Mm -hmm. With the bride, with the marriage supper of the Lamb. Upon his return, upon his arrival. Mm -hmm. Revelation 19, 6 through 8. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Like the roar of many waters. And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Yes. Um, so you said earlier that you, uh, you were like praying that God would discover to you what his assignment would be for you when he comes back. But now you just said that um, God began human history with the wedding. 